look, I think most of the people looking to figure out how to diversify some of their investment portfolio, they're looking at deals. They've, they've probably already invested in one or two. How can DLP Capital help someone like that? So at DLP, we have basically four funds. We have two debt funds and two equity funds. Yeah, but equity is so hard to get right now, everybody. In the market we're in, there are, at a high level, there are three things when you think about risk. Number one is the, is the sponsor. Number two is the market. Number three is, is, is the project itself. I would say, learn as if you were to live forever and live as if you were to die tomorrow. Modern day survival skill is learning how to manage your wealth. Hey there, and welcome to another episode. My name is Pascal Wagner, the host of the Grow Your Cashflow podcast. If you're new here, we help accredited investors grow and diversify their monthly cash flow through low-risk private placements. To be clear, we are not financial advisors providing you advice on your specific situation, but our email list, our social content, and even this podcast are all designed to help you learn how to find and vet passive income opportunities so that someday when you're looking to grow your cash flow that you'll consider uh, any one of our funds and working with us. So uh, even at the very least, we wanted to accelerate your ability to gain financial freedom. And today I have on the show Bo Parfait from DLP Capital. So let's dive in. Okay, so welcome to the show, Bo. Today we have a very special guest who uh, will be helping our listeners on their path to achieving financial freedom through passive income investments. Bo Parfait is the uh, managing principal and head of growth at DLP Capital, and he is here to share his expertise and insights and just kind of share how DLP can help you achieve your uh, passive income goals. So to, to give a little intro to Bo, Bo's the, the managing principal at DLP Capital, which is known for its impact investing. And uh, with a background in economics and a career that includes investment banking at J.P. Morgan, uh, I think he's an expert here. So for Bo, uh, for those that don't know you, can you share a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you ended up at DLP Capital? Yeah, you bet. Pascal, thank you for having me. Um, thank, thank you to you and your great community. It's an honor and privilege to be here. So thank you. So happy to provide a little nickel tour of my background. I'm you know, from the Midwest and went to, came out to Colorado for undergrad. I worked at a restaurant 50 hours a week, put myself through college. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I had a, a friend at the time and um, he kind of taught me how to flip some lots. So I started flipping lots in college and I kind of thought I was, you know, big stuff and boy, was I about to be humbled. So then I tried to go to JP, uh, sorry, then I tried to go to New York City and learn investment banking. and. They said to me, um, it was Solomon Smith Barney. They, he were like, the guy said to me, he goes, he goes, you're not getting a job here, Bo. I go, well, why not? He goes, because you didn't go to a feeder school. I'm like, what's a feeder school? I didn't even know what that was. This guy happened to go to Penn. He's like, well, it's the Ivy League. And he goes, and then it's some good state schools like Michigan or Virginia. So I'm, you know, I was like, hey, Michigan, I've always wanted to go there. And so anyway, that weekend, I was so fired up. That weekend, I went and applied to get a master's in applied economics. I started the process that weekend. And uh, the funny story, just to close the loop on this, is that a year and a half later, right? So now I'm at, I'm at University of Michigan. I'm in the, the master's program. I go back to New York City. I interview with Solomon Smith Barney, the same guy. It's the same Love guy. It. Yeah, right? And um, I was I was knew that I was going to see him. And I'm like, gosh, it's been a year and a half. And, um, and he was right, by the way, I did not get the job, but I, I was, you know, hoping to, um, and I started to get a lot of offers. So anyway, the guy said to me, um, he, he started, he looked at my resume and he's like, he pulls it up. Oh my God. Hey, he goes, wow. You, you went to Colorado for Colorado state for undergrad. I love Colorado. I used to ski there. And oh my gosh, you worked at a restaurant 50 hours a week. That's so cool. Great worth ethic. Oh, University of Michigan, oh, great school, great sports. And I realized he doesn't know who I am, Pascal. He doesn't know who I am. And then, so I, I kind of reminded him and he goes, oh yeah. And I said, listen, I, I've been waiting for this for about a year and a half. And I, I want to thank you because you changed the trajectory of my life. It was your advice. I had no idea kind of how that part of the world worked. 
and thank you. And he jumped up behind his desk, walked around, gave me a big hug. And he goes, you know how many times I've told that to people? No one's ever listened. So um, that was kind of one of the many defining moments. I ended up doing uh, mergers and acquisitions at JP Morgan. I was a fellow at FASB and then realized, hey, I, I, maybe there's something else besides you know, Wall Street banking. You know, working 100 hours a week, I gained 40, 50 pounds. Okay, it wasn't, wasn't a pillar of health. Then I got my MBA at Northwestern uh, in Chicago. And then after that, I, I scratched an itch. I always wanted to be a professional mountain climber. So I got to do that for about nine months. And that was tons of fun, but realized that I, I still want to climb, but not full time. I still climb to this day. And then I started my own business, everybody. And I, I started a student housing business. Um, we grew that business pretty successfully. And you know, we employed um, at one point about 200 people. Um, you know, we had roughly, you know, we had more than 3000 units, um, you know, in four or five states a long time ago, but, um, it was an impactful part of my life because we, I got to start a business. We had a nice exit and then I, um, had a little dry powder and the, and I, what I tell people is the good news is I had a little dry powder and I made a lot of investments. And then the bad news is I made a lot of investments. Um, and for those that are listening, I think there's a great quote that someone told me. They said, Bo, it takes a tremendous amount of effort to make a fortune or a nest egg, but it takes 10 times more effort. And I sure learned that the hard way. So I've got a, God, a, a lot of good lessons learned to share. Uh, I have a lot of good lessons to share, lessons learned. And then um, I heard Don Wenner speak, who's the founder and CEO of DLP, about five or six years ago at this kind of family office conference. I said, that guy has the eye of the tiger. I really like what they're doing. And I ended up joining DLP about three and a half years ago or so. So, so what happened then to your you know, student housing portfolio? Did, is that just like something you still kind of manage on the side? Did you merge that in? Did, like what, what happened there? So we, we, sold, we, sold, we had a successful exit. Um, and actually Dan Gilbert, who owns the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, he bought a big chunk of our portfolio. Uh, which was pretty darn cool. Uh, we kind of thought Dan would be on the last call, um, but he never was. And, and, and I asked, I said, is Dan going to be on this call? And I think it was like four levels below Dan, uh, who worked for Dan's family office. And he said, Bo, let me be very clear. He goes, Dan, he doesn't even know he's buying this. I'm like, it's like <laughs> almost 3,000 units. What do you mean he doesn't know? So um, anyway, kind of, a, kind of a fun story there, very humbling. So end up selling that and then, tried to do kind of my own investments and uh, did pretty well in real estate, did pretty well in private equity and stocks. And then when I got outside of my comfort zone, um, you know, it was really, some went well, some went horribly wrong. And then, I, and I did that for a while and then I found DLP and, um, and I'm very happy that I've, I found DLP and Don Winter. I love that. So, so give us kind of just a little bit of uh, an additional background of maybe how much you've invested in other LP deals so, and, and, and um, the range of deals. Like it sounds like PE, sounds like a bunch of real estate, student housing. What are, what are other asset classes? And, you know, is it like you've done 10 LP investments? You've done 30 LP investments? Um, well, I also, I also worked for another kind of another family office. Um, you know, it's hard to break down the entire background in a, in a, in a yeah, short Yeah, totally. Yeah. So between working for a couple other family offices um, and doing my investments, I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of, of investments and hundreds and hundreds of K-1s and 1099s. Yeah. Okay, so so you, private you equity. Deal. Yeah. Real estate, private equity, kind of operating business, private equity, um, venture capital, largely un unsuccessfully, some crypto, stocks. Uh, private debt, uh, distressed consumer debt, um, bonds, you know, mu you know, munis, muni bonds, uh, corporate bonds. Yeah. And so, so what I want the audience to take away from this is like, you know, Bo here, I, I know Bo personally through this men's mastermind group called Go Abundance um, that we've both been a part of. That's how we kind of got introduced to each other and uh, why I kind of feel more comfortable asking these kind of questions to Bo. But uh, it, you know, what I want you to take away here is that he's also in the field investing on his own. You know, he, we're going to talk today about DLP and how DLP can, um, you know, help towards that passive income journey and generating that monthly income towards financial freedom. But he's been on the front lines. He's 
done these types of deals. He's had deals go sideways and, and, uh, he, he, he'll bring that perspective here. Yeah. Well said. So, so look, like uh, great background, you know, and now we know who we're talking to. Let's dive into the next section here when, when we're talking about just passive income in general. So uh, when I look at, at DLP, I think of uh, it, DLP Capital is known for its ability to provide consistent monthly passive income. I'm an investor. I have over $700,000 invested uh, with DLP Capital. I've been, been in the fund for at least five months now. Uh, I'm launching a, a fear fund into to DLP. I'm a huge, I'm just a huge advocate, which is why I wanted to have you on today. Give us, thank you, you know, an overview of why uh, investors maybe choose DLP Capital uh, as one of the funds they invest in to to generate monthly income. Sure. So let I'm going to unpack that in a couple of ways. So I I think first and foremost, you know, if I'm in the audience, I'm in your, you know, if I'm in your shoes. You know, what are some of the key things that family offices or institutions or very knowledgeable investors are doing to decrease risk? Okay. So just some showstoppers for millions of people that are in that category. If you don't have a top 10 auditor, right, then just in my mind, and I'm not, you know, institutions, family offices, you know, high net worth individuals, like just delete the email. It's okay. You know, we get so many deals a day. The goal is to delete the email as fast as you can. So we're looking for some things to do quick screens on, right? So a top 10 auditor is huge. If they don't have one, delete. And and if I if I go back in my career and every deal that went wrong, you know, it, it, if I would have just, instead of taking, you know, oh, if they're a smaller operator, oh, but they're hardworking and they, right? If I didn't, if I just stuck to that gun, I, I would have, I would have had a lot of investments um, not go south because I wouldn't have invested them. I've never had an investment go south that had a top 10 auditor, knock on wood, Pascal, okay? Yeah. So a top 10 auditor is key. You know, I like to have at least a billion dollars, many people do have at least a billion dollars of AUM, right? Because they, they've grown, they've gone through, you know, they're not learning on your dime. Um, I like a three to five year track record, right? I think. I don't know what the stat is, but 90 something percent of all businesses don't make it past the three or five year mark. You know, I want a top tier uh, law firm to do their fund docs, right? Not not kind of Uncle Joe. Um, I want a great data room. I want a good investor portal. I want a great communication cadence. You know, I want I want thought leadership coming out of the managers that I allocate with. You know, I, I want I want pretty good returns. I don't want to I don't want, you know, I don't want really volatile returns because in my mind, they're taking on too much risk. So, so those are, those are kind of the broad stroke characteristics of, you know, DLP checking, checking the boxes. Okay. Um, and to be clear, like I'm a big fan of diversification and then, and, and a lot of fund managers do meet those and a lot don't, but I, but DLP kind of checks those boxes for, for many, many people. Uh, we have about 2,400 families that invest with us. Um, but then the other key piece is, I think you want to double click on this, is we're an impact company. And what an impact company means, everybody, is you can solve a problem in the world and you can make a financial return at the same time. That's pretty darn cool. That, I mean, that's having your, 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 your cake and eating it too, right? I mean, that's pretty darn cool. So at DLP, we are, it's our mission while we jump out of bed every morning is we're trying to solve the market rate workforce housing crisis in America. And that's that's pretty cool. And the, and the beauty of it is there's a shortage of of these of these units in America. About seven to ten million are the are kind of the, the range of estimates, but it's millions and millions of of these units need to be to be built or converted to workforce. So the moment we deliver these products, you know, to, to the marketplace, boom. I mean they just lease very quickly. So it's a it's a fun spot to be in. We we are in a bull market. I know the market's a little bit in a turmoil now. So with humble confidence, um, we're in a bull market, and our deal flow has never been higher. And um, it's really exciting to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think also just one of the things strategically that I think about with with investing in this space. Not only you mentioned impact, but uh, you know when when you're going through economic turmoil. Uh, or you're preparing for a recession or a down market, 
you know, I think one of the last things that you want to be doing is investing in things that are luxury class A top of the line things, right? Like if in in a recession or depression or, or a down market, people are not, you know, th- things aren't blowing up and people want to, you know, have the shiniest car and the, no, they're all downsizing. They're like, how do I pay less in rent? Oh, I need to move. I need to, and, and, and then things compress down to these smaller asset classes uh, or, or not even smaller, just lower in the rung where it's like, okay, can the people, the, the um, units that are most affordable become more in demand. And to me, that is one of the most exciting things as an investor trying to lower my risk and protect for the downside it is exactly investing in, in asset classes like this. one. Well said. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this, but um, when I joined DLP, you know, I, I went from making a living to making a life. And it's just, it's so fun for me to tell my kids, hey, we're going to, we're going to, our goal is and, and you too, because we're doing it together. Okay, you're an investor. Our goal is to have a million people have a safe place to live that's affordable. That's that's pretty darn cool. So so I love that. And for those that are that are very interested in passive investing, I, I love the cash flow piece, right? Because if it's cash flowing, it's already working, right? They have customers. Whatever they're making is working. So the risk goes way down. And you know, the modern day, the survivor skill of the modern time of modern time is learning how to manage your money, period. That's the modern day survivor skill. It's not back in the day where you had to learn how to fight off a saber toothed tiger. Like learning how to manage your money is, is, the, is the modern day survivor skill, very important. You know, one of the, uh, I've heard this objection before and uh, I'd love to kind of just pass it on to you, which is, uh, so, you know, I'm all on board for this uh, top 10 auditor idea. You know, I think, you, you do take on a lot more risk uh, and uh, if they're not audited. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of these deals are coming to light where, you know, these uh, what I call them like indie syndicators or, or new ones. And there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but but there are a lot more deals that go sideways with that. The, the argument I've heard here is like, OK, well, Enron was, uh, you know, financially audited on the public markets and they and there was still you know um let's say fishy stuff going on and so how would you handle that objection it's like yeah so a very good point um you know enron was you know there was fraud behind there and they things went down and there's other public companies have gone down and um you know for similar similar types of reasons so I don't thank you for saying that. I don't want to make it sound like a top 10 auditor um, means that it's bulletproof. Um, things can still go wrong. It's just the risk of something going wrong um, goes down. Right. Um, and then I have you and I have the same, we still have friends who like the smaller, um, you know, fl- you know, house flipper or apartment flipper. And, you know, they're small and they do a couple deals a year. You know, they don't even know how to do an audit. So they don't do one. And that's OK. But you trust them. Um, and they're pretty good communicators, you know, there, there's a case for that. I mean, if the biggest, um, you know, the greatest defense, I think, is just diversification, right? So if you just take your, you know, be very, uh, very mindful of that. But you're right. Um, I would I would say this, though. I would say all things being equal, if, if investment A had a top 10 auditor and investment B didn't, you know, I'd choose that, right? Totally. But But it doesn't mean it's bulletproof. So that's a good point. Totally. So, uh, you know, I, I'm asking you these questions off the cuff here, but do you have any kind of success stories or case studies of, of families or individuals who've achieved financial freedom through investing or, or maybe partially investing through uh, a- any one or multiple of your funds? Absolutely. There's a lot of them. And we, we tend to attract people um, that, are, that are wanting to give back. To, to their community or their world, right? And you're a great example of one. We're doing this podcast, right? You, you don't have to pour value back into your community, right? You don't have to do it. You could just receive your monthly distributions and, and you know, do whatever you do. So mo- many people that invest with us, um, you know, have 
you know, have figured this out. And what we say a lot of times is the two most important moments of your life are the moment you're born and the moment you know why. And a lot of people that invest with us have figured out their why. And those that haven't are trying to figure it out along the way. And that's okay. We can, and we can help them with that with our, you know, some of the education that we do, the personal compass and the family compass. So there are, we have, you know, one investor that takes the distributions and they have a, a nonprofit in Africa and they're saving lives every day. That's pretty darn cool. Um, we have another, another investor that they're, it's grandma and grandpa and they, you know, their kids have kind of struggled a little bit have, with life a little bit, but they have grandkids. So they use the distributions to pay for their grandkids college. Okay. I mean, that's Love it. what a gift. I mean, no one can ever take your education from you. One thing you can't take, you can't tax it away. You know, you can't take it away. So, um, you know, there's a, a lot of people that take half of their income or 25% of their income that they get from DLP and others, and they give it to their charity or their church. Um, so a lot of people are pouring, pouring value back in their community. Or they go start another business, right? And we kind of help them start their business and float and kind of float their, uh, their P&L along the way. So there's just so many um, great success stories. So thank you for asking. Yeah, different different ways you can use it. Whether yeah, just like you said, I, I'm using it to to kind of like cover all my my basic expenses. Have this uh, become a hundred percenter is what we call it in GoBundance, where your expenses are covered by by passive income. And that this is one of the passive income sources that I use, kind of help reach that that hundred percent freedom goal. Uh, so look, I think most of the people who are listening here are looking to figure out how to diversify some of their investment portfolio. They're looking at deals. They've, they've probably already invested in one or two. Uh, and, you know, how does, how can DLP capital help someone like that, you know, just grow their cash flow, increase that consistent monthly passive income? What are the different types of vehicles you guys offer that, that help someone towards that goal? So at DLP, it, we have basically four funds. We have two debt funds and two equity funds. And that's important because when you look at your portfolio, you know, we, we actually, you know, we should be in, I would argue that we should be in someone's fixed income or debt allocation, but we should also be in your private, kind of your private equity allocation. That would be in the real estate bucket, private equity, real estate. So we kind of hit two buckets, if you will. Um, so, you know, there's our, our, I'll just highlight two of them one of each for time saving. So our senior secured lending fund um, has a nine, nine-ish year track record, uh, billion dollar fund, um, has always paid, has, has returned 10% plus net uh, every year. And um, it's, it's a great, uh, it's, oh, it has an 8% preferred return. Um, one cool thing about DLP is our management fee is subordinate to the PREF is very unusual. I don't think I've ever seen another fund do that. So the investor- gets, Walk through what that means. Yeah. Sure, sure. So the investor gets their 8%. So just to take simple math, say someone invested a million bucks, okay? You're going to get your 8%, so 80,000 bucks first. That'll be paid monthly. And then DLP takes the 2% management fee, okay? Normally it's the reverse for those of you listening. This is very unusual, by the way. So investor gets their 8% first, then DLP takes your management fee, and then you split 80-20. 80% of the profits go to the investor, 20% of the profits go to DLP, which is very favorable, by the way. Um, another thing to be mindful of that I don't do is, is some people out there don't do an 80-20 split. They get, they're like, oh, let's split 50-50. And that's just more of a for, focused on a retail, um, you know, kind of customer or client. Nothing wrong with that, but, but there's just so many deals out there and managers that we can, we, you can actually get 80% of the profits as the investor. So more of it comes to you, um, which is something to take note of. So that's kind of our debt fund. We're making senior secured loans uh, to real estate operators that have the same mission we do. So at DLP, we can be the operator ourselves, or we can back another real estate operator, again, that has the same mission we do. And when you're trying to solve this workforce housing crisis, you have to work together. So we put purpose uh, ahead of pride. So that's why we work with many other firms. 
And then on the equity side, we have a um, our DL. Or we have a building communities fund, uh, which we're building about ten thousand units right now. This fund actually just won a, a huge award in New York City. I actually got to go to the red I carpet. Saw. Yeah, you saw that. I was on the red carpet, and hey, we won the. So what's cool? Um, so for those in the audience, when you do a ground up deal, um, usually you're usually you're hoping for kind of a nice return because you know there's pretty good margins when you build generally. But the problem is it takes them a while to build the 300 apartment units, for example, right? So for two or three years, you don't get any cash flow. So what DLP did is, and why they won the award is they, they just remodeled it and they had the sponsor put up more equity and actually budget for current income. So you're getting an 8% preferred return um, in this building communities fund. That's in the process of building 10,000 workforce housing. And you can get paid along the way while they're building. Um, so it was really, and that's why we won the award. Um, and, and I think also because it's solving the workforce housing crisis. So those are, those are two funds that um, I think are, are worth taking a look at. How about that? So, so go, let's, let's dive into that last uh, thing that you just mentioned to clear it up a little bit. So, so meaning when you say the sponsor, so the sponsor is DLP Capital in this case. And DLP Capital is putting up, they they have an additional million dollars or, you know, I guess it's proportional to how big the fund is, if it's a billion dollar fund, it's a lot more than that. But they've, they've, you are putting capital from your own balance sheet and paying investors an 8% pref on, uh, in that fund so that investors can start getting some of those returns to maybe even out a lot of the volatility and, and maybe uh, it's able to do that. Yeah, walk through that a little bit more. Sure. So, and you're 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 close. You're really close to. So, and it's important for people to know because one of the one of the big differentiators for DLP, um, like if we if we compete against another lender, for example, right? So we're going to give someone a construction. Loan. Well, well, we build ourselves. Most lenders don't aren't aren't real estate developers also. So they don't quite have the expertise that we have. Like we can actually look at a budget and go, you know, you're low here, you're high here because we're doing it every day, right? And then the the, the borrowers like Which dealing with lowers us. the risk. Yes, a hundred percent. Um. So and then you know another risk if you're a lender is oh my gosh what happens if they're eighty percent through the project and the borrower can't you know they get in trouble or something they can't finish it. Well, if you think about it, you know. If it's 80% finished, that's the least risky that that loan has ever been in the history of the loan. It's not just a piece of dirt. It's 80% done. It's almost done. So our team can go in and finish it pretty quickly. So that's another scary thing when you're a bank or a private lender is like the last thing you want to do is take over an asset because you don't know how to do it. We're more than happy. We don't want to do that, to be clear. You know, our, our loan to values are kind of in that low to mid 50s. Loan to cost is in that mid to low seventies, but but if we have to, we we're, we're more than capable of doing it, right? Where a bank would really struggle with that, so that that's one of our advantages. So uh, on the so I just want to make give that example, but to go back to okay, we have this fund that's building new new product. Now it's not Class A, but it's still really nice. It's brand new. Think of it maybe like new Class B, kind of the the way to think about it. These these are apartment buildings. You know, in some cases, these could be single-family home rental communities, so 200 homes, but they're all rental. The whole neighborhood is rental. That's a that's a pretty exciting area. So, in in a case where DLP is building, in in a case when in that fund, DLP could be the the sponsor, okay, or it could be, you know, XYZ firm, right? So e either one, but when we model it, when when in order to in order for us to fund that project as part of, and in that fund, the sponsor or the real estate developer, they actually pay for the preferred return in the first, call it two years when they're building. So they have to put up more equity and they actually start paying that at 8%. So we can, the investor can say, hey, I'm making 8% while they're building it. I don't have to wait two years to get that until at least it's up for me to get that cash flow. And that's, that's the kind of the big big differentiator. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. Is that, I imagine from these development firms or if it's even DLP, is that from equity 
investors then like yeah. someone else is kind of funding that got it that makes yep. sense yeah but equity is so hard to get right now everybody it is really hard to get equity it's hard to get that so you know in in, in the market we're in there are three there were at a high level there are three things when you think about risk and this is important number one is this is the sponsor you know we we look for people that on average have done at least 40 deals you know like a 730 or 740 credit score right? Big track record, big net worth, cash in the bank. So in this market, we can pick the best of the best sponsors. That's a wonderful thing. Risk goes down. Number two is the market. You know, there you, we track, I mean, markets win for sure. I mean, if you're in, you and I are in Colorado, if you and I did anything in real estate in the last 30 years between Fort Collins and Colorado Springs, we would have just won because the market's so strong. Right. Well, what's what drives a good market? Birth rates, cost of living, job growth, migration patterns. Okay, quality of life. So to recap, number one is the sponsor. Number two, it's got to be a strong market, and then number three, drum roll, please. Number th number three is 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 the project itself. Okay, and are, you know, is there construction budget budget in line or out of line? Are they doing all studio apartments when the market doesn't want that they want two or three bedrooms so really underwriting that specific project is key and those are the those are kind of the big big three let's call them the big three risk factors or opportunity factors i love it you uh you pretty much highlighted the thing i keep talking about on this show of, of the order that uh, people should go in when they're starting to look at deals i even add one more to the front end of that of just saying you know, when I have $100,000 that I want to invest, what do I want that money to do for me? Is it equity growth? Do I want cash flow? Do I want, you know, tax benefits or a combo of all three? Once you've decided that, you look at the sponsor, you know, the operator, are they, do they have a solid track record? Just like you mentioned, is what they're doing in a solid market, just like you mentioned. And then the last thing is the deal. The deal kind of like triggers that, that, tr that train of thought, like, oh, like, how do I, when does that start my research? But you, you nailed it. So I, I love hearing that uh, from everyone else over and over. Awesome. And one, and one thing you said that I want to comment on is like, what, what, how can people kind of grow their wealth and their passive income? Um, you know, I've been in finance most of my career um, and it wasn't that long ago. So I'm 46. Maybe I was, maybe I was 38 or 35. I mean, you know, that, oh my gosh, I can get a self-directed RIA, you know, I can get a self-directed retirement account, 401k or R, and I didn't even know. I mean, I, I think I spent 12 years in finance before I could, I'd even learn that. So that's a great way to allocate funds and have them grow tax efficiently. Um, you know, I don't think we can say that enough, right? It's just yeah, a, totally. It's a great place to people for people to find money that, that's not just stuck in some, you know, mutual fund or something. Yeah, so, so, so to just put some more uh, on that point. It's like, you know, when, when you're growing up and, and as you get into the corporate world, for example, maybe like all you know is the stock market because that's public and what's available. And they might fund a 401k or, you know, a Roth IRA. And, and the only place you really know how to invest that is, are these index funds or, you know, you might get it set up through your, uh, through your brokerage account, but but exactly, I'm actually going through that process right now because I've done so much LP investing with my with my normal money. Uh, I've started to think, wow, I should position all my things, put it into a self directed IRA because I I believe that the opportunities in in this space, I just at least want to have the option to to put my money, my retirement money, in these types of accounts. So plus plus one on that comment. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely, and 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 I think it's you know. People can Google this for sure, so please double check, but going from memory here, from from 2000 to 2010, I think they call that the lost decade. So if you invested in the beginning of 2000 in the stock market, 10 years later, you had about the same. That's why they call it the lost decade. Wow. So, so pri private investments are, and by the way, it's easy to see. Go look at you know, Harvard or Yale's endowment. Go look at in public, you know, what family offices, how they're allocating, right? Um, you know, Tiger 21, Camden Wealth, like a lot of these groups where a lot of very knowledgeable and sophisticated investors are members of, they publish their allocation. And 
many of them are 70 at a very high level, 75% private, 25% um, in, in public markets. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about when, you know, most of the public, the the common man invests in public markets and all of the wealthy are all in private markets. And it kind of makes you think, hmm, like maybe I should reconsider like investing in private alternatives or, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, there's still a lot of financial advisors out there that they they were just trained in public markets. They, they're not really comfortable. They don't know. And um, and there's still kind of this 70, 30, 60, 40 stock bond portfolio. That's like that's like stepping out of, De of a DeLorean, you know, with Michael J. Fox and Doc Brown, you know, back to the future. Well, the, the, something that I like to, to highlight is, look, like, I think what's important in, in this game of finance and as you're as you're considering investing your own capital is that everyone has an incentive. Right. So when you go talk to your financial advisor or you go talk to a broker, it's important to understand, like everyone gets paid in a different way for pushing different products. And so. You know, I, I've been talking to my Fidelity broker a lot lately just to understand what options they have because they're pushing the options that they get compensated for. Just like DLP or, you know, my fund, like I'm going to push certain funds because we all get compensated in different ways. And so, you know, just like as a educational moment, you know, that that should that should be like a little thing that's in your head that you think about as you as you evaluate all these different deals. And it's a matter of just having access and who you talk to. Yep, absolutely. Good, really good point. And you know, so, another uh, one, another big one I think is people always ask is, you know, how do you really kind of start to grow the balance sheet? And I think, you know, the number one, I, I love the book, um, The Richest Man in Babylon. Um, it's a really short book. It takes like 30 minutes to read. Great, terrible book. A lot of parables in there, but um, you know, if you can, if you can save fifty percent, forty percent, seventy percent of what you make every year, and you know, it's funny. We have a we're part of this mastermind. I was talking to this guy the other day, and he goes, he goes, yeah, my my lifestyle really has gone up because my income's gone up, and and he goes, now my lifestyle has really gone up. So I could either cut back my lifestyle or I could make more money, and I'm just going to choose to make more money. And we <laughs> we just all started laughing. But to live just to live in a in an enjoyable but humble means and just compound those returns and um, hopefully life is really long and we people can enjoy those you know but just to create that initial wealth you know it takes kind of ten it or takes twenty time. years yeah ten or twenty years head down working hard right yeah so so look I, I have this uh, I have this customer avatar that I, I like to put out there his name is Richard Morgan he's this forty eight year old guy that's, you know, starting to think about retirement and he's looking at all these different investments and these funds and, and, you know, we've, we've highlighted a little bit of them throughout our discussion. Uh, but maybe like, what are the, how can DLP, what does DLP capital do? What measures do they take in order to reduce risk, right? Like all, when you're kind of getting in that stage of your life, you don't have as much time to make up in, uh, you know, investments going sideways. And, you know, we talked about, you know, audited financials and, you know, you are uh, you also do development yourself. And so you can take on uh, maybe some loans that go sideways and finish them out. What are all the things that kind of reduce the risk uh, profile for someone making an investment? I love this saying that there, there's two types of pain in the world. There's the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. And, you know, one of them weighs a hell of a lot more than the other. So I think that if this avatar, so he's 48 years old, what's his net worth? Oh, man, I, <laughs> it's a good one. I'd say net worth of uh, $8 million. Again, it, it's, I, I've met a lot of people that, have, that don't quite have $8 million, right? Maybe they have one or two. But if you, start if you take some losses you know, early on, it's just tough. It's, it's tough to recover and make that other hundred grand to invest in something. Um, so I'm kind of a scaredy cat. I mean, I've, I've, I've just I've had a lot of deals go wrong. Um, I just actually published my, my third book and I talk about some, some big deals that I invested that went wrong. That's FYI. So we can happy to double click on that. Maybe on another episode or show is. Yeah. Is, yeah. What's is, that book? Just so we, we have it here. It's called the precipice of life. 
Okay. You know, and, and there's a whole bunch, I mean, it's about mountain climbing and, you know, you know, great successes and great and, and spectacular failures. Right. So it's, but, um, so I think, I think having that discipline of, um, you know, group think is a lot of times where I see people, you know, oh, hey, I, everyone's going into Joe's apartment deal, right? But it's Joe's second deal or his fifth deal. And, you know, it's, it's just, I think having this discipline of coming up with your 10 to 20 showstoppers, right? Is it a top 10 auditor? You know, do you want to have them see 40? Do you, do you want 40 deals? Do you want 10? Right? Do you want it to be in your backyard so you can go check on it? Right? So coming up with your list of things that are important to you, I the think is very, is very important. Your your buy box, um, I think staying diversified is probably the best defense. Um, and then one of the things that DLP does, and I, I would ask this question, I, I would I would lobby for people to add this to their kind of top 20 list. So DLP, I'm looking for the book right now. It's right over here. But our CEO wrote a book called Building an Elite Organization. And it was the number one book in the world for a period of time. Okay. Uh, it's a Wall Street Journal bestseller, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon bestseller. But what he did is he created a managerial operating system. And it's how you grow and scale a business. And 99.9% .9 of companies out there don't use a managerial operating system. Okay. They have meetings on Monday. They have no idea why. They don't, they don't track the throughput. You know, they don't track results. So if you have a company of B and C players that has a managerial operating system, they're going to outperform a company of filled with A players that don't have one all day long. So with DLP, we accomplish more in 90 days than most companies do in a year because we use this managerial operating system. And you can buy the book and do it yourself. Okay. That's the beauty. That's why. You know, we estimate that thousands of companies out there are using this system that Don created. I think that if I were an investor, you know, in this this avatar, I mean, I would say, is this person that I'm investing in, is, is, is he just, does he or she just care about money or is there something more? Like, what's their why? Right. And I think that can answer your question, eliminate some of the risk. So like when Don first published this book, he, some people went bananas, Pascal, because they're like, Wait, this is your secret sauce. Why are you sharing it with the world? Well, why not? Right? Why not help everybody? You know, we're at a culture at DLP where you climb a ladder, you climb a ladder, you look down, and there's someone below you, and you grab their hand and you pull them up the ladder. So, and we, I think even a couple of people that you guys lend to even use it. They do. Yep. That's a great point. So, so actually, most of the people that we provide financing to have to use um, that, that managerial operating system. There's another system out there, but it doesn't have to be ours. You know, we're not, you know, um, you know, progress before pride. Um, there's another great system out there called the Elite um, EOS, Entrepreneur, um, Entrepreneur Operating System. That's a great system, too. And some people come to us using that. Um, over time, they end up kind of ad adopting a lot of our stuff. But, but you have to use a system. Otherwise, you're winging it. So that's that's a that's a big one. You could you should ask, hey, do you use a managerial operating system to know, to, to really scale and run your business. Um, the other thing that I look for is I want more than one owner. I want more than one owner. I just don't want one person to call calling the shots. At DLP, there's three owners. Don is the majority owner, which is, by the way, very important. Um, I do want, you know, our military, our government, right, uh, runs on, so, at the end of the day, someone has to make the ultimate decision, be held accountable. So I'm a fan of that. But I do like other owners. Uh, Bob. Peterson is our CFO. He he is an owner, and so is Barry DeGroote, our chief uh, legal uh, officer or counsel. So those are some other things to think about. Um, hope, hopefully that's helpful to people. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm sure we'll continue to, to have more of these things. I mean, what I want you to pick up on, and, and as you, you know, this is this is somewhat of an interview with, you know, the, a fund manager here, right? Like we're we're doing due diligence. We're learning how the investment works. We're we're understanding what risks are at play. So so as you hear me ask these questions and talk, like I want you to pick up, like oh that's an interesting nugget. That's a that that kind of lowers the risk here, or oh that that kind of increases the risk. Like that's something I didn't think about before. So uh, as as someone's in this space of you know, looking through uh, investment opportunities and they're, they're 
they're overwhelmed with the amount that exists, you know, that everyone has their own deal. There's some popping up. You might see Facebook ads. You might hop on different people's lists. And you kind of touched on this earlier, but I want to make it a, a big cohesive point that for someone who's on that journey, how can how can individuals manage the landscape and make those informed decisions with maybe that buy box? This is a, this is a great question. Um, we may have to unpack this together, you and me. I may need your help on this one. So let's do it. Yeah, um, there are there are tons and tons of deals, right? There's tons of noise. There's tons of deals. There's, as you said, social media deals. Um, there's mastermind deals. Um, oh man, it's it's really tough. Um, yeah, I think I think the the first for someone just getting into it, probably the first move is to just spend a year to learn. You know, to go to as many masterminds as you can, listen to as many podcasts like yours, this great podcast. Uh, just learn and learn and learn as much as you can. Um, you know, another 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 thing that is good to do is you could find CPAs, CPA firms or law firms that that are that work for you know real estate fund managers. You know, they know who's good or bad, right? The accountants are doing their books, right? Right, um, and they make referrals. Right. I mean, they, 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 you know, unapologetically, right. They don't get paid to do it. They, Hey, you should go talk to this firm and odds are they're going to recommend one that's doing well because they care about their reputation. Right. And lawyers and accountants are professional people. They take a, they swear an oath, I think for, you know, code of ethics and honor. So that's a place where you can help. Um, I think group due diligence is important, right. You know, that, that's a great way to, to figure some things out. Um, what do you think? You jump in. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, very much on the same page. I think a lot of what I, you know, when you first get into these deals, I, I mean, God, I don't know how many people I've talked to where, you know, they they see a deal, their friend's investing in it, and because their friend's investing in it, they, they're like, all right, I'm in for 50K. And, and so, you know, that's, uh, I think, you know, on the spectrum of, you know, I do no due diligence and I'm just investing because, you know, someone I know is. And then there's the the opposite side of the spectrum where you're, you know, a, a huge financial, you know, firm and you have like a team of six analysts that go in and, and do all this due diligence, and, you know, and I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong way. I mean, I, I, I will go out and say, I think investing just because your friend is in it is the wrong way to do it. But, you know, there there is a... Um, I get that people have their own lives going on. This is a new language. Uh, it's, you know, it's foreign to them, but the, this thought of that you spend, you know, a majority of your life building your wealth. And then in, you know, a matter of a couple days, you invest in a deal that you didn't really research and that money is gone. I mean, I have friends that have lost ton of money in there and they're, you know, in their thirties or forties and they, that's money they won't get back. And that, that set them behind. So, you know, I very much agree with this idea. Uh, we, we have different text groups. We're going to start one here uh, eventually at, at Grow Your Cashflow where people can just kind of, Hey, I'm looking at this deal. What do other people think? Oh, I don't like it because of X, Y, and Z. Oh, well, you know, I take that note in, I put it on my, my scratch pad and I'm like, I actually, I don't think that's a big risk. Um, or, you know, oh, that guy made a great point. So I think the group think is probably where I think there's the shortcut. If anyone is going to get into this, it's just like get opinions from five to 10 different people who, who invest in these things. Hey man, Hey, Hey Bo. Um, or you can send an email to me like, Hey, I'm looking at this deal. What do you think? And I'd be like, eh, I don't really like it because I can find better deals or, you know, it, Super valuable, super valuable information. You? Yeah. So you, you, I'm glad that I love what the comments you made and I'm just going to um, kind of pig pile on some of those. So this is for those of us that have listened this far, you're going to get perhaps the best, some of the best nuggets of all. Okay. So you, you get rewarded for the journey you've been on with Pascal and I. So this is a big, big deal. So if you're going to build a diversified stock portfolio. This is just math, okay? Math and statistics. 
you have to you have to own 30 different stocks to be statistically diversified. And by the way, you're just barely scratching at the surface. You're just barely statistically diversified. It should be more like 50. But you need 30 individual stocks, say this again, to be statistically diversified. And you're just barely. So I talked to someone in our community. I'm not going to say who it is. Okay, Pascal. And he's like, oh, I'm diversified. I, I, I don't do investment funds. I, I, I go deal by deal. And I do syndications. And I'm like, okay, how many are you in? He goes, I'm in 40. And I'm like, okay, with how many different fund managers? Yeah, I'm sorry, how many different operators? He goes, two. I go, <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're in two. That's two stocks. You're in two stocks. That's the scariest thing I've heard all year. Absolutely. And he looked at me like I had three heads. I'm like, you're, 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 you're I mean, I, I would be afraid of their, of your balance. Right. Like if that guy goes, if one of those two go bankrupt or if one of, you know, one of them gets hit by a bus or one of them, you know, it's like, yeah, you might be in, in 20 deals under that one operator, but I mean, that's still half of your portfolio. And, and look, these are, these are, these are just the additional lenses. There's, there's all different lenses that you need to look through these on. And, and that is, that is a great point. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things, so I, I guess I, if someone's just starting off or, 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 you know, or just your mindset is if you're going to do syndications, okay, but get ready to do 30 of them with 30 different companies, right? So that's the mindset. Um, funds, you know, have their, their advantages and disadvantages, but a fund, so I'll just, we have a housing fund. So one of our funds at DLP that I didn't talk about before is our value add um, housing fund. It's a 2.2, roughly $2.2 billion fund. There's about 15,000 apartment units in there. Got a great track record. Well, we had two deals in there that didn't perform that well. And, and by the way, when you go to our data room, every single asset's listed, is it performing or underperforming? Right? What was the going in cap rate? What's the exit cap rate? What's the NOI? Right? Like, are we on budget, off budget, budget? Like huge transparency is so important. But we underestimated these two deals in Shreveport. We underestimated how tough of a market Shreveport is. We didn't quite have the resources there. We didn't have that local knowledge. And we ended up selling both those deals. Um, one of them, we barely made a little bit of money. Maybe the other one, we made 6 or 8%. That was clearly not pro forma at all. But if those were two syndicated deals and you had put a chunk in and spent five years, I mean, that 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 would hurt. That would hurt. But, it, but with 15,000 units, you know, we could, you couldn't even feel it, right? So that diversification is, um, is something to consider as well. Yeah, I mean, I also, I also think a lot about this concept of, of syndications versus funds. And if you're, if you're just, I mean, I, I'd love to understand your take, but I think syndications are unique because you get to underwrite if that's what you like to do. Uh, underwrite a specific deal and you know that's that's for like the geek that that really wants to get in and 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 understand what's happening and then there's uh the fund approach where you know i, I as i'm investing I, i've invested in particular syndications like projects like i invested in a multifamily project here in denver in my backyard that i was able to drive to i know the area i see how gentrification has been happening and so like it felt and like I've been in real estate for the last decade. And so that felt comfortable enough for me to go in and, and do something and make an investment there. But but largely when I think, you know, this is another lens to think of it through is like, what are you trying to do with your money? Is it are you trying to diversify it and to to, you know, make sure that you're keeping most of it or are you trying to to grow that wealth? And my current perspective is if you're trying to grow wealth, that syndications are maybe um, more in line for what you're trying to do. But if you're trying to like protect your money and, and still have it, you know, I mean, most of your funds are double digit returns still, which like better than you can get on the stock market, you know, on an, on an average basis. Uh, so, uh, I, yeah, I think of I think of funds is a great place to kind of keep money safe. What, what's your take? I you disagree with me. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, and for those of you who are listening, there, the beauty of this, there's always exceptions to everything. So so we know that. But I think um, so. But in the spirit of it, 
Um, I would say, um, I would say that's a, it's a, it's a, Ooh, tough it's a one. showstopper. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Why is it tough? What's the, well, what's because, the so for just take, um, so, so I've invested in some private equity funds that, that have bought businesses, right? So they buy businesses and then they, and typically, you know, and I, and I like finding private equity funds that, that, that are, that are raising between 200 and 500 million. That's their fund size. Right. So like, it's not like KKR or Blackstone that are raising, you know, 40 billion, right? They just have to buy bigger companies. So they're below the radar that two to 500 million, they're kind of find, finding pretty good sized companies and they're, they're fixing them up and they're selling them. And, and I've typically gotten, you know, three X return in five to seven years on all those, right? Three X. I mean, that's, a, those are funds, right? They're buying 20 companies, um, not startups to be clear. This is a VC's private equity. You know, so so those are pretty pretty stout returns, right? Right. Um, the same the same people um, that that don't really know real estate, they like companies. To your point, they want to underwrite the company. They do. De- There's also groups out there that do deal by deal, and you can kind of build your own private equity portfolio. And again, you just have to be ready to do thirty of them. You know, or if or if you're a high income earner, and you're just in your mind like I'll get to thirty, but I have to start somewhere. Um, but you, you could say, you know, generally speaking, I mean, that, that syndicated deal, you know, they're going to try to get a little bit higher generally, I would say probably agree with you because if they're doing a syndicated deal, they're not big enough or they don't have the experience to raise a fund. So they really want those deals to go well. Right. So hopefully they've really scoured the earth and they're going to put, they've got mom and dad's money in and they're going to go hard. Um, you could kind of argue it either way, but um, I, I think that if I think that if it were me, you know, I would pick the funds because um, again, I'm kind of a scaredy cat, um, and I just don't want to take single asset risk anymore. You know, I just don't. But yeah. but nothing wrong with people that do, and you know, no worries. Yeah, it's just a different different way to play the game. Um, so this was awesome. So this, any any kind of like final thoughts or or you know we feel like we covered a lot of ground here lots of lots of nuggets any final just notes or I guess suggestions tips first first thing to keep in mind as as someone's like maybe done one or two investments they're on their journey and they're they're looking through picking operators and um, trying to make sure they don't make a mistake what. What, what advice do you have for someone along on their journey? Like top top two, top three tips. I would say learn as if you were to live forever and live if you were to live, live as if you were to die tomorrow, right? So keep learning. Um, I want to repeat what I said earlier, the modern day survival skill, everybody, the modern day survival skill is learning how to, how to manage your wealth. It's just so important. And I, if you have kids or grandkids, take them along with you on that journey. Uh, for sure. And I'd stay diversified. You know, those are, those are some of the big ones and, and keep, you know, part of that education piece. I think I've, your podcast is very good. So you do a nice job. You pour a lot of wisdom and value into people. So I'd also encourage them to keep listening to your podcast. Um, and, and, to, and to reach out to you if that's okay, because you have great insights and you know what you're doing. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you having, having me on your show and, um, it's just such an honor and privilege. And check it, hey, check out DLP Capital if you want. And if you don't, that's okay too. Yeah, no. So th- thank you so much for for being on the show, sharing your valuable insights on on achieving financial freedom through these passive income private placement investments. Uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. This was super fun. And uh, to our listeners, if you found today's uh, episode valuable, be sure to check out Bo. Um, you know, it's dlpcapital.com. We'll have a, a bunch of these links and, and more stuff of way to contact Bo and, and DLP in the show notes to learn more about their work and the kind of opportunities that they have. And just remember that taking action and, and going into doing kind of research and digging in more is the first step towards reaching your financial goals. So, so good on you for being here. Thank you all for tuning in. And we'll be back for another insightful episode soon. 
All right, now uh, I have some final thoughts for our listeners. There are over 350 of you who are already on our email list. But if you are not already, if you'd like access to our database of private placement opportunities that we see every week, and you want to get first look at those opportunities that we put together at Grow Your Cashflow, you can join our investment club at growyourcashflow.io. Now, uh, if you found this helpful, don't forget to share with that friend who might benefit from this particular episode as well. And lastly, if you have any questions, suggestions, or just loved a particular show, reach out to me on Twitter at Pascal Wagner One. Thanks for joining us, and I will see you on the next show.